Hello and welcome to another episode of the Sheffield Digital Podcast. I'm Ian Broom and I'm joined by directors Mel Kanarek and Chris Diamond. We're also joined by Bella Abrams, Director of IT at the University of Sheffield, who takes the exciting accolade of being the first person to appear on the podcast twice. In a minute, we'll be asking Bella all about her relatively new role at the university, including her ambitious plans for the department and its excellent decision to become a company member of Sheffield Digital. But before all that, we need to say thank you to Rebel Base Media, again, for letting us use their fantastic studio where we record this podcast. You can do so too. Um, They also provide um, uh, production and other various uh, podcast-related services. Um, You just need to get in touch. So thank you to them. Sorry to interrupt you, Ian. Uh, They also run a podcasting meetup. So if you want to get a taste of podcasting, you can get involved in that. Indeed. Bella, welcome. Thank you. Um, so the last time I spoke to you, uh, you were leading the IT team at Sheffield College. First question, how did this new role come about? But also if you can give us a bit of a potted history as well. Uh, I, I will. So it was a couple of years ago, um, because in between the last time you spoke to me, I've had a new job and a baby. So uh, <laughs> I've been fairly busy. Um, but uh, I was director, well, I was CIO at Sheffield College, uh, which was an amazing role working um, with students, uh, vocational students from the city. But when I was on maternity leave with my daughter, my dream job at the University of Sheffield came up and I managed to get it, which was exciting, especially because she was four months old when I did the interview and I was low on sleep. Um, <laughs> so I've been, um, the university's been really supportive of me coming back from maternity leave and starting. So I've been, they've given me flexible working and um, I did shared parental leave with my partner as well. So the last six months have been a bit of a whirl, uh, getting to know my team uh, and dealing with a nine month old, but um, it's been all right, actually. Fantastic. And um, with this new role, how, how is it different from the role you were doing at the college? In terms of responsibility, it's actually narrower, but the scale of the university is much broader. So um, if you don't know much about the University of Sheffield, there are close to 7,000 staff, uh, sorry, close to 8,000 staff and close to 30,000 students doing PhDs, masters and undergraduates. It's graduation this week for undergrads, which is lovely. Well, it's both universities, I think. They'll just be teeming with people in nice dresses and proud looking parents everywhere. Um, But the university... Um, has a much broader remit than just the education of those students. So um, we do a huge amount of research IT. We do the the IT that's needed to support the education and all of the corporate services that such a large institution needs. Turnover of the university is close to 750 million and it's currently, I'm very proud of this, number two out of the Russell Group for student experience in the in the country, which oh, wow. is really, really good for it. Russell Group universities are tend to be related, uh, rated for their research, but we've gone for student experience as well. So we're very proud of that. Um, so it's an extraordinary institution to work in. And um, it's I'm a twice graduate of the university as well. So even better, I'm going back to the reason I even moved to Sheffield. Um, I've got an amazing team uh, who are uh, slightly shrinking at the moment because a couple of services are leaving, but they are a big, highly capable IT team. And But a lot of people have worked at the university for a long time. Mm. And that's one of the reasons we wanted to join Sheffield Digital was to get the experience that everybody's got in the city of designing new services because we've got a big old IT strategy coming down the line. So how big is your team at the moment? Um, the, the, the two services that are leaving are not IT services. Yeah. Um, I've been responsible for the Octagon and the Drama Studio. Well, that makes sense, um, yeah. <laughs> it's 
been exciting and they're <laughs> wonderful um, and print and design but um, the main kind of core of the IT team are about 160 mm. so they're a big team but actually versus our peers in the Russell Group we're actually really small so we're going to need to be investing in getting the team up to the right size with the right skills as well I've been doing some benchmarking work and have been surprised how much we do with with so few staff. Right. So you can definitely see expansion on the horizon. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so we, we're, our projection for recruitment is close to 30% on top wow. of our current, wow. but we can't rev up to that um, yeah. in one year. So we're projecting to do that over three years. Is um, that mainly, sorry, on the student experience side, obviously digital experience is a big part of the student experience. So the, is that for internal services and student services? Maybe? We're investing in everything. So um, we want to create the best digital teaching and learning experience in the Russell Group, which actually with my background, Ian asked before about what I did, I've, I've worked in digital teaching and learning most of my career. Um, and I think that we can create a really compelling experience for our students because a lot of other, uni- other um, research-led u- universities are not as heavy on that investment. Teaching-led universities like Hallam tend to be Mm. more focused on the the learning experience, but we're up in our game with that. Mm. Um, Research IT, corporate services systems, the actual kind of desktop. We support um, Mac, um, Windows and Linux, many, many flavours of Linux. So we've got a complex, (laughs) complex uh, desktop environment. And then we've got a huge amount of corporate services as well. We run SAP. Right. <laughs> Every time I say it, I horror get a shiver. <laughs> um, and we're we're also putting in. There's a large project at the moment putting in a new student record system, which okay. is um, not the most glamorous of of, uh, of projects, but is giving me a really good um, data tier to work from. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm really looking forward to building services off the back of that. Yeah. So as, as a student at the university at the moment. Um, I can no. I, one I, of my customers. And, and it's my expectations of what the digital experience would be like were naturally quite high because of working in the sector and working with lots of very clever people doing clever stuff all the time. And I was quite surprised at how old-fashioned um, the interactions, the way that interactions work. And while there's lots going on, to kind of push you to do stuff online when you go to do it the experience is just not where you expect it to be um and recently I kind of had to email the department and say I can't find that thing you said I needed in order to do the next thing and they were like oh hold on a minute have you tried looking here have you tried looking there and eventually between us we figured out how to find this particular thing I was looking for so um that that's a big challenge, isn't it? That's it is. a lot to do for and such a big organisation. Absolutely, and there's there's loads in there. So um, there's a whole kind of how do academics structure the courses to to give the the right teaching and learning experience, and it's going to be interesting because pedagogy is not my area. So, um, but actually, that's where service design and user experience come in. So if we build systems that allow academics to work easily and to structure what they want to teach and how they want to deliver it. Um, we can build things that are easy for them to use that make their lives easier and then also transform the teaching and learning experience for students. So it's a win-win for everyone. And that's the, the kind of the investment case that we're making. The problem is, is um, 
the breadth of what's taught in the university. So dentists to um, historians have really different needs and the level of study as well can be very different. A PhD student has different requirements from an undergrad. And we also do quite a lot of um, English um, as a foreign language teaching to some of our other students. So that's a different pitch as well. But again, service design and thinking about how people are going to consume things is going to be really important to us. And that's not something that the university's done particularly well before. So we're going to be focusing on that a lot. How are you doing that? How are you going to, presumably there's not been like a long history of service design or even content design in the at the university. So are these new things that you're trying to put in? Or people we're gonna, coming in? We're going to grow, but we also want to work with partners. And ideally I want to work with partners in the city. Um, I think there's something, the university I think is the second largest employer in the city after the teaching hospitals. Um, and if we're investing in digital then I'd like that investment to be in the city where possible. I think there's something really virtuous about that. And the digital sector's grown and and I've followed what you guys have been doing. And so I'm already talking to people that are other members of Sheffield Digital and I want that to continue as well. So if anyone wants to come and talk to me, get in touch. Yeah, so that's that's agencies, um, UX specialists, Agile, DevOps. All of it. So we're already working, we've got some small um, engagements with people that have worked in um, Agile um, across the city and other people are talking to us about the strategy. Haven't actually got the money to spend yet, but when I do get that from um, the university, then then we'll be Mm -hmm. uh, foot to the pedal. That's fantastic to hear. And I think um, there's just so many different opportunities, aren't there? You can come at it from all different ways. I know last time you and I met, you were telling me about the huge quantities of data that the university deals with because of all the research that you do. Um, Does the university have a data centre or is everything up in the cloud? We've got three. Three? Okay. Um, I won't ask you where they are. I know that's not done. (laughs) Um, We've got a cloud strategy. We've got um, a a much more mature research IT strategy. Um, The assistant director for research IT is a new person as well. He's been at the university a little bit longer than I have. And he's working with partners to establish what we want to do from a high performance compute point of view and from a data storage and data access. One of the difficult things about research is you tend to get grants from research councils in order to do something. And that's that means you've got money for a fixed period of time, which doesn't necessarily fit with cloud services if you want to um, still access that data. So we're going to be creating a platform that allows researchers to continue to do their work, even if their grants run out, but also allows people to access other data sets in a safe and secure manner um, <laughs> to um, to continue their research. So um, the, the type of data that we have from a research point of view can vary from petabytes that come from uh, microscopes or telescopes um, uh, in the science area to vast amounts of health data. We've got the School of Health and Related Research who do a lot of things um, in the data area and also the medical school. We'd like to create somewhere where we can start to do a lot more interdisciplinary stuff where we can bring health um, in line with other areas and offer opportunities for research to new PhDs and um, research investigators to mm-hmm. to do what they want to do. 
And there's a mandate as well that all publicly funded research needs to make its data available. It's yes. Core data, not just the analysed yeah. data. And you, you'll have noticed over years, Hallam have been investing in building Sheffield University. We've got the diamond, we've got, um, we're putting the new social sciences building mm -hmm. up on um, Western Bank at the moment. Um, buildings are really important for students to come and, and feel that they've got the right working atmosphere, but actually technology and the infrastructure that we need in order to deliver that from a research and from a teaching learning point of view is as important. And I think the university is coming to that realisation at the moment. And that's a big part of why they've, they've brought me in and to see technology and infrastructure and service as as important for student and research experience as, um, as buildings. Mm -hmm. And then uh, when I was doing a little bit of work with the university um, last year, it was quite an eye opener for me. You, you, you see a university and you see students and you see teaching staff and you see research, but it's easy to forget that there's all the back office, there's all the corporate side of a university going on as well. There's a big, you know, an HR department and there's huge, there's facilities management and all that kind of thing. And all of that involves technology now as well. So you've, you've almost covering every aspect of tech that you might think about from what we call the tin and wires all the way through to the end user customer. Yeah. That all goes on within one organisation. It does. And we've got the opportunity to push that to its limit as well. Um, I was talking to one of uh, John Clark, who's our chair of AI um, and cyber, and he's been thinking about an idea of the campus as a laboratory. So that brings us into a kind of IoT landscape and allows us to think about the scale of what we've got from a campus point of view. If we start instrumenting that and thinking about how we want to do things there, we can also start pushing the limits of, of what's possible. The AMRC is, a, is another thing that we, we have at the university um, who are pushing the limits of technology from uh, all manner of, of different directions. Mm -hmm. So bringing all those things together, yes. We do have a massive set of corporate services, but we've also got the opportunity to be to do things differently and to start to think about if we are doing research in these areas, how can we apply that research on campus or in our corporate services as well? So it's, a, it's an amazing opportunity. It, it, it sounds like you're really in, intentionally trying to not avoid silos in each of these different areas. So student experience, corporate services, research, IT infrastructure... You're looking at opportunities for skills transfer and cooperation between them to create new value, create new ways of working. All that's that kind of that's the idea. I, th I think the, the really interesting part of the role and the reason it is my dream job is because of the breadth, but also the opportunity to do things differently. I think that too long in big corporates, universities and hospitals or councils, mm. um, IT has been seen as a service partner. Mm -hmm. But my view is we're, we're an enterprise um, partner. We're there with the university to figure out what the university wants to achieve. And then we think about how technology can enable that. And that's something that um, senior management at the university are really embracing at the moment. So it's a massive opportunity. I've just got to get it right. Yeah. So, and um, funded. And funded. <laughs> um, but I think that the idea that, you know, you can just, that, that IT is just about tin mm. or that it's just about software is, is not the norm. Um, in, in smaller companies and other companies that have been kind of thinking about how, how their strategy is going to be transformed by technology. Yeah. In big places like universities, we're like tankers. Moving yeah. those um, quickly is difficult. But I think this is a massive opportunity to say we can do things differently, not only because we've got a new vice chancellor. So he started in November, so a couple of months before me, and he is um, technology savvy. 
and asked for a Linux des- desktop when he first started, which <laughs> wow. gave us all the shivers. Um, so he is, but he's able to have conversations about what he wants the technology to do strategically yeah. for the university. So that's a really good opportunity for me. So it's, it's not just about integrating corporate solutions to these things. No, but no, it's about um, doing things for students yeah. that can um, personalise services that can make um, life easier for academics. Academics are having a really tough time at the moment. You know, the the requirement um, to to, for teaching and learning is really high mm. and also on top of that they want to do four or five star research to keep themselves high up on on the, on our uh, ref mm. so balancing those things trying to make their lives easier debureaucratizing the university um, is a big part again of, of the services that we want to offer as well yeah my, my own experience I worked, worked at Hallam twice over the years and um, uh, and also worked doing bits of work for government departments as well that idea that it's like turning a liner or a tanker, whatever the phrase is, a big boat, um, uh, rings very true. And uh, half of the problem, I think, is internal buy-in, like getting people to change their own kind of, even just like their in- individual little daily little quirks, like, like even just the software they use, things like that. Like Google Docs, are you sure? That sounds very modern, that kind of thing. <laughs> How do you, h- how's that going? <laughs> 8,000 really, really clever people. <laughs> Who've all got With very opinions. strong opinions. Yeah. Yes, it's yeah. both wonderful and often a little bit difficult. Um, so w- that's why service design is so important. I think building critical mass and actually saying to people, or actually not saying to people, showing people that life is easier when you use these services is is pretty much my main weapon in that one we're not um we're not a mandated place it's not it's not the same as working in in somewhere where you are told to do certain things and you follow certain processes it wouldn't be the same if we were so balancing those things and kind of saying actually this is where cyber comes in and kind of is why my hair's getting greyer is um that we want to create a safe and secure working environment for people so they don't end up um, losing data or having some kind of reputational issue. Yeah. Um, or getting ransomware across the whole organisation. Precisely. <laughs> Things that keep me awake at night. Yeah. Um, but also, and that then might mean that they do have to compromise on some of their freedoms, but we shouldn't be asking them to compromise on their academic freedom. Mm. But there are other things where we can actually just say, no, nah, this has gone on a little bit too long. So mm. it is appropriate to work in a different way. But what I'm really hoping is that we can demonstrate that collaboration in different ways, using technology to make life easier is the way that we're going to do it rather than saying you will do this and you will do that because that isn't going to work in, in an organisation like ours. And I wouldn't want to work in an organisation like that either. So, um, I remember we talked about how your team at the university are perhaps a little bit isolated. You know, they've been at the university, some of them for a long time and, and they're, you know, they're in that environment where there's so much to take on and so much to deal with. And you're keen to kind of get them out into the city more and going to meetups and you're keen to get people from outwards into the university and just open up the walls, really. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the the many of my team have worked at the university for a long time, which I think is a really good sign because they obviously really enjoy their jobs and it's a really good working environment and everyone's really nice and it's a happy place to work. But that does come with a, a cost and the cost is not necessarily knowing about new ways of working or not having uh, experimented with things in the past. So that's I do want to um, disrupt 
with a lowercase d, disrupt the culture and to bring new people in to, to try th- doing things in a different way. And it's uncomfortable, but it's really important. And I think to try and do that in a way that is encouraging and is about us delivering new services is the way to do it. But um, yeah, it's going to be one of the big challenges is, is kind of getting that right and not making people feel like life's getting harder and harder with no payoff. Yeah. So what sort of things would you like to see happen? What could you imagine um, a big part of it is kind of, there's a really interesting um, thing about Agile in the university. The word Agile has been banded around with a big capital A uh, way the, before I started. The management version of Agile. The, the idea that you can kind of have everything that you want. Um, yeah. and um, But actually they've just, um, it's waterfall uh, by a different name. And I think the the truth is, is I'm, I'm not using the word agile at the moment. I'm talking about doing things iteratively and incrementally and really pushing the idea that things change and you need to be flexible enough to respond to that change. And I think the university as a, as a whole is responding to that. It'll be really interesting to see how that actually plays out when we do have a number of projects running, especially if we use third parties to help us do that. Um, but even then, the the big challenge is kind of structuring things so that we have amazing things coming from our strategy. We're changing the way that we're working and we've got different ways of working and we're feeling more comfortable with that. But on top of that, still delivering the service that the university needs, because that's a huge amount of customers that we've got to keep happy, even when we're doing big change. So I am concerned a little bit about that and kind of balancing those three things is going to be the biggest challenge, I think, of the next few years. And you mentioned briefly earlier that having people having a safe and secure environment. So talk to us a little bit more about the complexities that you've got in the university and about the the whole cybersecurity issue. As you guys know, it's 80% people, 20% tech. That's a lot of people. (laughs) Um, And on top of that, the environment in which we work is targetable. In, in a number of ways. There's IPR, there's um, lots of money going around. So we're building new buildings. So organised crime are interested in, in uh, hijacking things like that. Um, we've got uh, kind of um, threats that are coming from within the university, which is more about people kind of not being aware of, of, of their own um, safety and security when it comes to systems. But we've also got threats coming from outside the university where we are being explicitly targeted. Balancing all of those things again and making people aware of their responsibility in it is a huge part of what we do. It's back to what Ian was saying. It's people, it's change, it's it's having people think about things in a in a in a way that makes them understand why it's important. And the truth is, in a research environment, it's your personal reputation. That's that's the, the biggest lever that I've got to pull. Mm. If you're a professor with huge amounts of grants and then you don't have a safe and secure working environment that your team works in and you have a breach, then that is, you, you might not get grants again. You might be um, stopped from accessing data in the future. So that's the way that we're kind of taking the people route. But on top of that, we've also invested heavily in cyber over the last year and we're going to continue to do that probably forever. So um, so the university recognises cyber as one of the critical threats that we face. And um, that's one of the things I've got a fantastic team there who are, are working really hard in that area. And we're hoping to host um, cyber meetups at the university and um, kind of uh, demonstrate how complex our environment is and get other people to kind of offer us suggestions and services as well to help us co- um, combat those threats. Do you have your own ops centre? 
It's a room. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's an office. <laughs> We've got a very funny office. Um, I, there are, it used to be a nurse's um, kind of halls of residence. So it's really tiny little rooms oh. where you can probably fit three or four people. The biggest rooms have maybe got six or seven. It's really different from an open plan working environment that yeah. I'm used to. I do, as a result, get a very nice office, but it's not, it's not a place where you get a lot of collaboration. So there's lots of walking up and down the corridor and sticking your head out and mm. trying to see if people are around. So small, I'll maybe make a pitch teams. for new offices. At the moment, very small teams. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that can be really good. Like having small teams who can really focus on things. I mean, I, I know a lot of developers that would much prefer that kind of environment to an open plan, but I, then I, you need to provide the opportunities for people to actually meet and talk to each other regularly. And, and at like the moment, well. we're fully post-it noting corridors. Right. So <laughs> you know that paper that sticks to the wall, yeah. the kind of plastic stuff? We've gone, um, uh, there's a post-it note explosion everywhere, which is great, but I think we're running out of actual collaboration space, yeah. which is an issue. Yeah. But, you know, it's a university. Mm -hmm. It's got lots of rooms, so we'll find somewhere. The other thing I wanted to pick up with you about was last time you came on the podcast, we talked a bit about diversity and inclusion in the tech centre. What have you seen happen since that, that last conversation and what else do you think needs to happen? Not much has happened, really, I think. Um, Sheffield Women in IT has been set up and they're doing some amazing work. Um, I went to uh, a CIO forum in Leeds because I was the only woman on the panel. Everyone asked me what I wanted to do about diversity and inclusion. And I turned around and <laughs> yeah, said, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> yeah, I was thinking, hmm. So I responded and said, um, fundamentally, it'll only change if everybody cares. And I don't think at the moment the majority of people see why diversity and inclusion is important enough to want to make a change. So the last stats that I had were overall across the country, it's 22% of women working at, uh, the 22% of people in IT are women. Mm. And of those, I think 18% are leaders, which is not very good. Mm. Um, but I also think in that there's, there's a lot missing from those stats. There's a lot of kind of intersectionality missing from it. And it isn't for me just about kind of university educated white women like me being able to mm. um, kind of pitch uh, for an equality point of view, there's loads more in there. The truth is we can't build services for um, anyone if our teams don't re represent what our customers look like. And a university is an incredibly diverse user group, so we need to be an incredibly diverse team. I really care about it, so I'm going to change it. If other people are willing to do that in their teams, then things will change. But I don't think my peers in corporate IT care enough. So at the point at which they do care, then their teams will change. And you have to have difficult conversations. That's the thing that we're finding, I'm finding at the moment. The, the university management structure is pretty white. Um, yeah. And you can kind of go, hmm, well, that's, you know, a structural thing. And that's how it kind of works. And that's not true. And then, until you start saying, we don't look like our students, we, we don't behave like our students and saying it in, in senior meetings, then things won't change. But also I think you have to then take action. So you need to think about how you recruit, you need to think about the working environment that you create, you need to think about flexibility and you need to think about not making people feel uncomfortable. And that involves quite a big mindset change for quite a lot of people who might not even be aware that they're making other people uncomfortable. So spending time and effort thinking about that is is... I think of incredibly high value, mm. but that's me. So the, the main point is diversity and gender and other things will only change if other people see that there's a, 
purpose to that. Okay. And how do we make people care? Um, I don't think they'll be building products that work if uh. their teams um, don't don't reflect the people that they're building products for because you'll miss something. Mm. If, you, if you kind of have a single view of the world, then you'll create a product that responds to that view. And if you don't have a diverse team where people are enabled and uh, allowed to ask questions about what that service looks like, then you'll miss things and your products won't be as good. Mm. And I think that, for me, that's a business case for it. It's not a kind of, oh, you really should care about equality. Yeah. Mm. But that is actually, that's, that's the thing that should make people care. Yeah, we need, sorry, Chris, uh, we just need more spectacular failures of stuff <laughs> to work. Yeah, but whether they failures get put down to diverse, lack of diversity is then another question. Ah, yeah, there, there's already Some bias in AI. There's already, you know, so eventually, again, it's what what what's the worldview of people that are analysing those failures? Well, I, I was talking to Emma Marshall um, not so long ago, another great woman in a in, uh, leadership position in tech in, in the city. And she's she'd um, sent her staff on um, an unconscious bias training um and it was really good and and i think the people that that went and she went as well you know got a lot out of it and understood an awful lot more afterwards but what was really noticeable for her was um the kind of organizations that go on these courses are already ones that are invested in diversity yep and really they know most of this stuff already yep. and it's it's the companies that really don't know and don't understand unconscious bias and don't understand the barriers to diverse people entering the, their workforce that really need to go that aren't there they're not in the room so so just making that change and, and, and yeah. getting those courses full of companies that would actually benefit from it would be a big difference i think that's true i um, have done unconscious bias training uh, a couple of times actually and there's also definitely a so what at the end. And I think that that's the, that's the question for anyone in a leadership role, uh, any, any part of an organisation, which is, okay, I've done this training, but what does that mean? Am I going to change my thoughts about recruiting someone? Am I going to change the interview process? Am I going to look for different things on CVs? Am I going to think about our team night out differently? You know, so it's all of those things. The so what is, okay, you're aware you've got bias. Everyone's aware of that, right? You know, but then actually, what are you going to do about yeah. it? Yeah, because where do you advertise absolutely. your positions? Yeah, yeah. Kind of yeah, and that's that's a, a big part of it. But I also think it is just about clearly saying I want to do something about this and encouraging people because I've got a big team and it, it wouldn't be it would it would be a failure if it was only me that cared. So I need to be able to talk to my team openly and clearly about why it's important and them to ask questions and to and to. Ideally, I'd like them to feel the same way that I do. Yeah, possibly where unconscious bias training has its most benefit because it provides a language with, with, within which to talk about yeah. this stuff, which people often find it you know, struggle with. It's difficult to talk about for a lot of people. Yeah, and you're right. You know, Sheffield University is in the Stonewall top 100 employers. Yeah. We've, we, you know, we've got a huge. Um, I don't know if you've seen, if you've been up to the university, a lot of the stuff where rainbow lanyards. Yeah. It's a big part of being allies and other things for students. We do have that language. It, everyone is comfortable having those conversations at the university. I've not come across anyone that doesn't want to have the conversation, but the so what is, what are we going to do about it? Because I'm still seeing, I'm still working in one of the whitest senior management teams that I've ever worked in. So that, and that is strange for me. So, so there is that kind of, okay, we know. So mm. what are we going to do? Okay. Well, we'll sort of leave that out there for everybody to think well, we about. we should invite Bella back for the third time and yeah, see whether yeah. things have changed in yeah, another two absolutely, years. absolutely. For sure. Hopefully. Um, before we started recording, Bella, you mentioned that you wanted to talk about 
needing testers? Well, so when I, I, I have left further education, which remains one of my passions and um, tragically underfunded, especially um, when you pitch the nine and a half thousand pounds that every university gets for their students and you think about the three and a half thousand pounds that FE gets for their vocational students, there's a really big disparity there. One of the things that I think the university can do and any employers can do is take advantage of the apprenticeship schemes. And universities do not pay as much for IT professionals as, as our private sector peers. But we do have a really interesting working environment and we do have a lot of breadth, which I've talked about earlier. But we also want to grow people to come and work at the university. So apprenticeships is a really big part of what we're going to do with that. And at the moment, we've got a particular need around testing. And Sheffield College will run a testing cohort if enough employers want them. And I wouldn't want to be the only one in there. So if other businesses do want to get apprentices in to train them up to be testers, that would mean I could run a cohort. Uh -huh. So that is what I wanted to talk about. Okay, so how could we help make that happen? How could we help coordinate that? I think if people are interested in, so it would be 18 year olds, so level four yeah. software testing framework. There is one that exists. If people would be interested in investing in that, um, it'd be approaching you guys and then we could maybe put put together uh, enough people. I think eight, and I probably need four. So, right, yeah. yeah. That's doable, sure. Yeah, yeah so I think yeah. if we did something like that, but I think it's, it's another interesting opportunity because a tester can become anything, but yeah. also having someone with the, the skill set um, around automation and other things is absolutely critical for us. And it's a different route in from an apprentice point of view. So there's kind of service desk, there's networking, there's development and testing, and I think it gives a good balance. So if other people are interested in that, I'd be really happy to talk to them. Okay, that's great. So, I mean, we'll put info in the show notes um, and we can put something in the um, opportunities channel on our Slack as well. Um, and we've got various other yeah, things that will be going out. out to help get the word oh, out. Find me on Try Twitter. Yeah. Connect, connect you with other people that are kind of operating in that space. Yeah. As well. yeah. Bella, are you happy for us to share your email address? Not my no. email. I think that'd no. be, but yeah, if Twitter would be fine. Yeah. If that's all right. Yeah, yeah. My email is, um, it'd overwhelm yeah. me and yeah. my PA, I think. Yeah, but, yeah. definitely. It's a really interesting one, though, because QA is a really interesting role. It's yeah. a really great way in to the industry. Smart but background. It, but, right. So, yeah. yeah um, I know lots of people that have gone into QA and, and lots of great ones have stayed and, and others have gone on to do other things. Um, but it's it's become increasingly, like over the last 20 years or, you know, that I've been involved in software development, it's become increasingly important and moved further forward in the production process, yep. you know, to test-driven development and behaviour-driven development. And so testers now, you know, they're responsible for test script coverage and coding and coding up, you know, unit tests and stuff like that. It's it's a much more technical discipline at its highest level, yeah. yet still a good way into the process. And, and not well arc articulated no. to younger people. I no, went to right. talk to year sixes at the school where Ian and my kids go. <laughs> and they, they had no idea you could be a tester. Right. So I was talking to them. Um, I, oh, clearly, I went in with the computer games testing yeah. first. but yeah. um, And they were all like, that sounds like a brilliant job. You mean, actually, I can break things? And I was going, yeah, yeah. it's a job all about breaking That's things. It. And they were all really excited by yeah. it. And I think it's another way in to development that that doesn't necessarily have the assumptions about how you end up a software engineer. So I, I think it's a really interesting one for younger people to explore. Yeah, we've talked about this before on the podcast, Sam. We I can't remember in which episodes and in what context, but the idea of if you're a young person just not knowing what these job titles are, yeah. or, or even just seeing the media that you consume, if you forgive the phrasing, uh, 
all the time is that someone makes that. And we, we previously talked about YouTube, mm-hmm. how the, like, this idea that being a YouTuber is a bad thing. Whereas to me, like a 12 year old, that's like a, a videographer and a, and a voiceover artist and all these other things at the age of 12 is or, or younger. Yeah. It's just a, an incredible thing. So that, that, that language that the tech industry has, I think can be, um, it can be really, um, what's the opposite of inclusive? Exclusive. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the three right. things that the 11 year olds were really into. So I told them about the Paternoster lift and I think they're all going <laughs> to go to the arts tower and jump in the Paternoster. Excellent. They loved the idea of being a tester and breaking things. And also they loved the idea of when I explained what a project manager was. Yeah. Um, really? Yes. So I think you don't know what a project manager is when you, you just think, what, what would that be? And yeah. then I explained it to them. A, I used the uh, the road had been dug up outside the school for two years and I explained that there was probably a project manager in charge of that and they might not have been very good because it was a year over budget, over time. But then I explained to them about how you can um, build things and be the person that, that talks to the customer and gets what they want and they were they were absolutely transfixed by it. So I do think you're right. I think it's the language and it's the accessibility of job titles and, and, and you know, how many people go into schools and talk about what they do. So mm. that's a big thing for me. That's back to the diversity, encouraging girls yeah. at, as young as possible, so 11, 12, 13, to think about careers in IT and that not just mm. be software engineering. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. That feels like a a good call to action to close on. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Thanks so much, Bella. No worries. Anytime. Yeah, thanks. Right. Time for our updates section. Mel and Chris, tell us what you've been up to. We're going to start with UK, UK tech clusters. Visit to DCMS. I wasn't involved in that. And to number 10. No, this <laughs> is a, Mel, this is a very oh, exciting picture. Yes. Of you uh, outside number 10. I thought that this was, this picture, longer way to picture, it might have ended up being a protest picture, but no, it was a perfectly civilised moment. It was, it was incredibly hard for me not to start ranting and raving and putting bollocks to bracelet stickers everywhere I possibly could and While getting I'm escorted here. out <laughs> by, there were an awful lot of armed policemen around, I must say. But um, yes, joking aside, this was, uh, I've talked before on the podcast about the UK Tech Clusters group that Sheffield Digital is a member of and, and I go along to the meetings and how it's becoming a really powerful voice for the tech sector outside of London and is really getting the ear of central government. So um, the guy who chairs the group, who is David Dunn from Sunderland Software City, he um, managed to work with a guy called Danny from DCMS to arrange for us to go down to London and have our usual cluster meeting in the departments in one of their incredibly bland meeting rooms. Um, but then also meet with a bunch of people from the department who came in to tell us about what they were doing, but also to hear about what we thought they should be doing. And the day sort of culminated with um, going walking over to Number 10 Downing Street and having a meet with, with the Prime Minister's um, advisor on entrepreneurship. We took along a very simple report which kind of said... These are the things that we think government should be paying attention to for the tech industry. And this is where we think things are perhaps not working as well as they might. It was all very, very diplomatic and carefully phrased. If anyone would like to see that reported, I can make that public. Um, You're welcome to have a look. Um, But it opened up the door to have some conversations about what we would like to see happening and 
The most fruitful meeting that we had was with the Acting Director General of the Department for Culture, Media and Sport, who said in a few weeks' time, we're going to have a new Prime Minister, quite possibly a new um, Secretary of State for DCMS, and I'm going to need to sit down with this person and tell them what we should be doing. So if you've got any input into that, I'd like to hear it. And as a result of that, we've put together a set of recommendations, which was done in a big round robin email between all the the different clusters. Um, And that's now been sent down to DCMS. And if I'm able to make that public, I will also make that public because it makes for some very interesting reading. And it really does reflect a lot of the things that we've discussed on this podcast about what works, what doesn't, where should the money be spent, and that kind of thing. So I was just absolutely delighted that I could be in a room with people from Manchester and Brighton and, you know, the larger tech clusters and say, Sheffield, this is happening in Sheffield. We need this in Sheffield. We have these sorts of companies in Sheffield and get that heard by senior civil servants. So I will continue to do that as much as I can. And then to feed into this set of recommendations, which has now gone down. Um, you don't expect stuff to happen overnight or, you know, the famous magical money tree to, to shed pounds in our direction. But if there are ways that we can influence policy and if there are ways that we can get the government to think differently about how um, programmes targeted at the tech sector are being delivered at a local and regional level, then that's going to be a good thing. So watch this space. I'm going to write a bit of a blog post that will be a bit more coherent than me rambling on on the podcast to tell you about what happened. And um, I'll keep everybody up to date. But it, it was good. And I got my picture taken outside number 10. So that was kind of cool as well. <laughs> Sounds fantastic. Well done, Mel. I don't know if that's patronising. It's not meant to be. It's like, it sounds like a really uh, important thing to, to do. Yeah, it, is really it really is great that it's... I was going to ask you when you say... Uh, uh, tech cluster, whether you that whether it's you and other people from Yorkshire, I'm not quite sure whether it is, is Sheffield the a tech cluster in itself or is it so so Sheffield City Region okay. is is a tech cluster in itself. That's kind of I tend to say I'm from Sheffield and the surrounding city region. Uh, so the other members of the cluster are Manchester Digital. Um, there was someone there from Liverpool. There was um, Sunderland, uh, Newcastle Gateshead, Hull. Um, Leeds, Brighton, so Wired Sussex, Bristol, um, Norfolk, Birmingham. Birmingham. Actually, there was no one from Birmingham came down, but but we have they are. we they are members and we have had meetings in Birmingham. So yeah, it's pretty much all of the the core cities and then some where you would think uh, Reading as well. So so where you would think there is a cluster that isn't London. Um, and there's a lot of really good collaboration happening between us now. So next week, um, Katie Gallagher, who runs Manchester Digital, is coming over here to Sheffield and she and I are going to sit down and talk about data. What kind of data do we need to be collecting? Where do we get it from in order to put a current case about this, you know, here are real numbers about what's going on in our cluster um, rather than always just taking the numbers that are handed to us that we always think are slightly off. Mm. So there's lots of collaboration going on. It's interesting, isn't it? Because it's it's basically the major clusters going direct to government rather than yeah. through Tech Nation. And, yeah, so... You know, Tech Nation, not, you know, as their focus has shifted over the years, um, yeah, making sure that those 
yeah, those important voices are actually heard more directly yeah. rather than through the filter. Yeah, there's, I guess I don't think I'm talking out of school by saying that, you know, within the cluster group, there is a feeling that Tech Nation is not doing what it should be doing what or what the expectation was of what it should be doing, that it has become very much a um, an organisation for selling centrally conceived projects and programmes on a regional basis. And then you've got, you know, regional entrepreneur engagement managers. Um, I think I've said this on previous podcasts, covering enormous areas, trying to spread the word, but not able to do much more than that. Um, and we have within the recommendations that we've sent back down, there is some um, insight into a grassroots response to Tech Nation and some suggestions of uh, ways to tweak and improve it. Um, but recognising that when you're dealing with central government, you've got to play the game the way they play it. Um, so I had a real lesson in uh, diplomacy, <laughs> which is one I think I could probably stand to learn every so often. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Okay, next item. So uh, we want to remind employers uh, to get involved with TechSetGo. Chris, can you explain to us what TechSetGo is? Um, I'll try. Um, so TechSetGo is an initiative um, to bring digital education or digital skills learning to uh, some disadvantaged audiences uh, of young people. Um, and those audiences are specifically women and uh people who suffer from autism of some kind, I believe. Is that right? Or on the yeah, spectrum so, autism? Yeah, so so TechSecGo is, is, is kind of a weird hybrid of a thing um, where it's trying to give um, people who wouldn't normally engage with tech as a possible career some exposure to it and to give them a way in. And if they're really interested to get them onto a free um, web development course at the developer academy mm -hmm. um what they need is for employers to get involved and it's not a big ask it's just like you know will you drop by the developer academy and engage with students and have a chat with them or you know will you come and give them a project to work on uh or will you host some students you know just for a visit so not a big internship or anything just can they pop into your office for an hour and see what goes on in a real life tech um, business that kind of thing um, but the more employers as always the more employers who get involved the better because then you can help shape it and um, you can help figure out if this model works then how do we scale it so there's a blog post about it on the website with um, an email address if you're interested in getting involved Okay. And uh, the Developer Academy is about learning to code. So is this specifically about uh, programming and being a developer or is it is it in kind of other roles within So uh, I, I think it's, yeah, I think it's taking the model of, um, you know, you can make something as a way in to at least get people thinking about what, what sort of jobs are there in tech. Um, I think the course that they're going to do at the developer academy is a cut down version of the web development one rather than um yeah full like software development full, full blown software so it's a, a bit more create and make something 
in a few weeks type of thing. Yeah. I think the really important thing is that it's, uh, you know, a, a real attempt to engage, um, you know, kids from parts of Sheffield that don't normally get engaged with our industry at all. So it yeah. be a, if companies think that's important, then it's a really, really good thing to get involved in to try and con- make that connection and yeah. learn more about yeah. how to do it in future. And it's, it's not necessarily just young people as well. Oh, you yeah, know, it, it is open to, you know, if there are women who have been at home caring for, for kids or parents or something like that, and they're looking to get back into something new, um, you know, if it's older people who have been excluded from work for various reasons, then it's, it's just trying to broaden the base of opportunity wider into the city, you know, the, the kind of stuff that Bella was talking about earlier as well. Okay. Uh, you both went to Galvanise Sheffield. We did. Yes, at co-host. Yep. Was it uh, good? Was, when was it? Wednesday? Uh, Two days ago. Yes, Wednesday evening. Uh, yeah, it was It was basically a launch more than anything. It was sort of a big kind of, you know, hello from the Sheffield Property Association to to its membership and to the wider city. So a lot of the great and good of the city were there, a lot of mm. movers and shakers um, there must have been 150 odd people or something like that. Yeah, it was a pretty good crowd. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it was really a presentation to say, you know, what the Sheffield Property Association is and what it's about and what it's trying to do. Um, and it's, what they're doing is kind of similar to what Sheffield Digital are doing, um, you know, for the digital industry. They're, they're trying to do for um, construction and, and property development in Sheffield. Yeah, we've we've had um, some conversations with the Sheffield Property Association prior to this event um, and we sort of did coffee and realised that even though we're in different sectors, we're actually trying to do the exact same thing, Mm. which is make Sheffield a great place to work and grow a business and to, you know, help create wealth for the city and create opportunity, all those sorts of things, except Sheffield Digital is doing it in the digital sector and Sheffield Property Association is doing it with property developers. Um, so there, there was a lot of, you know, yay, let's all get together and work for the good of the city, which is fantastic to hear. There's always a little bit in my head that goes, okay, what's next? Mm-hmm. So we'll see. But we've got a really good dialogue going with the, the core group who are who've created the the property association. One of the things that they do want to know is they, property developers want to know that they are developing the right kind of property. And so they need to hear from consumers of the property about what they would like, which is you guys out there listening to this podcast, you know, what kind of commercial property does your business need or might your business need in the future? What kind of, um, rental property for accommodation would you like to see within the city centre? That kind of feedback into the people who are actually raising the money and doing the development will help shape the city into what it could be. That's right. So, so, so there's, there's this kind of, um, sort of two way thing with them really where, where, you know, they they want to know what kind of buildings and what kind of, um, you know, deals and, and projects to do for the industry because I mean tech industry and high value um, city centre based companies um, is is what they're really inter- interested in and from our point of view we want them to take the messages about our sector out to the wider world when they seek investment and developers to come into the city so that, so that they know the these are 
you know, these are the areas that, that Sheffield has particular specialisms in and is really developing and where there's a research base and where there are opportunities for, for incubation and, and things like that. Yeah, they're going to be great ambassadors yeah. for, for our sector, I think. Yeah, so, so yeah, it was. I think it was positive because it, it, it marked sort of the birth of something that we think could be really important sort of factor in growth and development over the next decade. Okay, fantastic. And then we have a, a, a new web page. We've got an entire segment about a web page. Which I, <laughs> yeah, a single web page. Which I quite like. It's the new digital meat manufacturing web page. Is this on our on our website or is it on the AMRC's website? It's on the AMRC's website. Yeah, it's not really about a web page. Not really. Um, so, I mean, we had uh, Jonathan Bray from the AMRC on last podcast. Yep. Yeah, last podcast. My With Jamie. Hair. And Jamie Hinton from Razor. Um, wow, time flies. And um, since then, the AMRC have um, created uh, an area on their website for their digital meat manufacturing campaign. And um, they asked, you know, could we share the news about that? Um, And we'll put a link into the podcast notes. But I think what would be really interesting is to get feedback from you out there in listener land as to whether you think this web page uh, would make you want to engage with the AMRC or find out more um, because they're, from the AMRC's point of view, they're trying to create this connection between the manufacturers in the city and the digital companies in the city and find ways that they can work together and solve problems and create new products and services, all that good stuff. But they need some help with their communication. Um, so some feedback from the digital sector about okay, you know, this webpage does this for me or it doesn't do this for me or I understand this or I don't understand this. I think that would be really useful if we could feed that in. So um, if you have a chance to have a look, please do. And if you have thoughts, um, please send them to me and uh, I can share them with the AMRC. Mm-hmm. It's time for Good News Corner. Actually, we should really have a jingle, shouldn't we? Would you like to do an impromptu jingle, Chris? <laughs> well, something that's in keeping with uh, with Alex's algorithmic music that we use for the rest of our jingles. Yes, if it could be in the same key, that'd yeah. be uh, perfect. There we go. So, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Chart topping. So, I repair stop um, have uh, become company members. So, I repair stop is um, uh, it's yeah. a shop on Ecclesall Road. Is that right? Yeah. So, yeah. Shop it, is that the right phrase? It's in a shop. It's, it's in a, a shop. it's a yeah a, a repair shop. The quote, Apple kit. So to quote Bella, there is a room. <laughs> there is a room. <laughs> yeah. um, it's quite a nice room, actually. And um, and they are so they become company members of Sheffield Digital, and they are offering a discount. Now my internet access has fallen to pieces whilst we've been recording this, so uh-huh. you might have to tell me what that discount is. So uh, there's a blog post on the website mm-hmm. with all the details about it. Um, I can't remember the exact details of it but it is a 10 percent so it's, discount it's for... yeah so for individual members get a 10 percent discount on all of their repairs yeah so if you can go and show that you're you appear on sheffield digital's membership list you'll get 10 percent off all of your iphone and imac repairs yeah. and if you're a company member and you want to make an arrangement of some kind there's a discount yeah so there. i think for for one-off repairs as a as a, as a company um they'll give you 10 percent off the first thousand pounds um, and um, they'll do a similar deal if it's if you want to take out a, a service contract with them. So I think you get 10% off the first yeah. quarter or something for a yeah. service contract. And it's also well worth 
dropping into the shop because uh, it has a really interesting history and they uncovered an amazing mural on the wall <laughs> of these uh, very elegant 1930s style ladies, which is <laughs> not what you expect in an Apple repair shop no. by any means. No. no, they're great actually. And they're, yeah, they're, they're really into what they do. Um, and it's really nice to have a, a, a good quality repair shop um, close to the city centre without having to go all the way to Mellor. And of course, to become an individual member of uh, Sheffield Digital, which is a very sensible thing to do. I've been a very happy member for at least two years, three years probably. Uh, it costs just £5 a month. Yeah. And you can go to sheffield.digital slash membership to find out more. Nice plug, Ian. Yeah. So th- thanks to those guys for, for extending that discount to our membership. Mm. Also in Good News Corner, Can Studios have released a major update of their training post learning management system in brackets. LMS, and are offering a discount on orders at the moment. There, is, there are more details on uh, on their website. Yes. Um, so Can Studios have recently joined us as members as well. So it's great to have them on board. And um, they let us know about this. And I did have a chat with them because I was like, well, you know, what, what does that have to do with our members? And um, the lady there who I spoke to very rightly pointed out that an awful lot of the companies, digital companies in the city might well have a requirement for a fairly um, light touch, easy to use learning management system. So that's, I said that I would share that with all of you. And uh, as I say, details of the discounts are available on their website. Fantastic. And uh, Front End North is returning. Um, it's going to be in February next year, 2020. And of course, it is now um, organised by the team behind the fantastic Front End Sheffield, which is, uh, it seems like five minutes ago that we were talking about that just starting, wasn't it? Mm. I think it was last January, maybe, 2018. Mm, yeah. And um, and um, but 18 months on, um, they've just announced that they are uh, bringing Front End North, uh, Front End North back, and they're going to be at the Crucible, which is a fantastic oh, really? venue. Oh right, I didn't it's know great. that. Oh really? crikey, yeah, <laughs> I think that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's right. Um, I presumed because Front End North's big, isn't it? It's a really sort of big, popular. Yeah, well, it was so. uh, at the City Hall Ballroom. Yeah, uh, the previous two times. Mm. Yeah. yeah, so um, uh, so that's fantastic, and um, you know, and I think a real um, a real kind of Philip, if that's the right word for. Uh, uh, the uh, Sheffield's meetup organisers of the, of the world. Yeah. yeah. So I think they're looking for sponsors now, aren't they? So if anybody's interested in sponsoring Front End North, yep. get in touch with them. Yep. Um, we've just had SteelCon. Um, that's just happened. Yeah. Big success. Huge success. It's always a success, isn't it? It's always it, a success. <laughs> it's, 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 um, it's just amazing what those guys pull together. Yeah. Um, we had Robin on the podcast last year, didn't we? We did, yeah, telling us about it. Yeah. But it's great to see it just goes from strength to strength every year. And um, the next Y Accelerator is open for applications and that closes on the uh, 30th of August. Um, well, I, th- I think it's, I've, I've got some questions about this, about <laughs> who it's for. So do, can you tell me, um, or everyone, more about uh, about what it is and the types of organisation that might apply for well, this. It's an accelerator, isn't it? Run out of Rido in Rotherham. Yeah. Um, it it's for startups. Yes, te- of any yeah, of any kind. Any kind, although they do tend to be technology based in yeah. some way or another. Yeah. Um, it's uh, it's been running for a few years now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Slanted Theory yeah. went through it. Yeah. Um, tickets were good. Yeah. They went through it. Yeah. So so. You know, it's got some track record to it, and um, there's a not bad prize as well. I think it's 
I'm I'm not going to guess off the top of my head, but but again, more than a thousand, less than a hundred thousand. Yeah, some somewhere in that ballpark. I want <laughs> to be I, safe. Well, I want to say twenty five. I want to say twenty five thousand. Yeah, I can't remember if that's just the to the winner or if that's split over. Yeah, yeah, three but, finalists or something. But it it's you know the fact that it's still going is really good, and and it's. Um, some of its alumni yeah. are very successful. It's, it's just got a terrible name. They, they, you know, yeah. they had no idea that Y Combinator was a thing. I think when they launched it, it launched really? like ten years ago or something. Yeah, yeah. but it wasn't. It's not a tech industry thing. Uh, I think the the money is. Um, I think it's uh, British Steel British Enterprise. Ske- yeah, it's steel yeah. money, isn't it? That Pension was yeah money from the steel industry. Um, I don't know why they called it Y Accelerator but it, not to be confused with Y Combinator or anything to do with it. Okay. And um, we should say congratulations to uh, Sheffield Women who have been longlisted in the Computer Weekly Influential Women in Tech list. Mm-hmm. So that's very specifically um, Helen Milner and Charlotte Murray from Good Things Foundation. And Alexa Greaves. Oh, yes, yes sorry. And Alexa Greaves, who's the Managing Director of AAG IT Services. Yeah. I always, the first, whenever I see these lists, I always go straight on to see, is there someone local on? So it's brilliant. Um, this is just a long list. So uh, the, I think they announced a top 50 in a week or so. So, um, but congratulations to Helen and Charlotte and Alexa. And uh, Joy Polloy have been shortlisted in the Innovative Use of Tech in Storytelling category of the Broadcast Tech Innovation Awards as for their work on The Circle. Yeah. Yeah. Which they came and showed us at the showcase last year. Right, time to whiz through some of the upcoming events. We have a, a slightly shorter list than normal. That's partly because it's summertime, I think. And also we'll save them for the next show. On the 24th of July, it's Bitcoin Sheffield, which is a, a newish, uh, is that their first or second event? First, I think. Is yeah, their first, yeah. Um, and then we have on the 25th is Front End Sheffield. They're having a lightning talk session. On the 31st, it's UX Sheffield. On the 5th, it's Podcasting for Business Growth Workshop, which is run by uh, the folks at Rebel-Based Media, which is where we are right now, standing. Um, on the 6th, it's .NET Chef. And on the same day, it's Startup Sheffield Meetup. And then on the 7th, it is Chef Test. So that's the 7th of August. And save the date, because um, showcase number four, four. is yes. um, is on the horizon. That's right, yeah. Autumn Showcase will be 26th of September. Can you do any big announcements about who's speaking? Probably uh, yourself? Uh, I, uh, <laughs> any small announcements? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, have, I have one confirmation, which is um, Elements Technology. Oh, brilliant. Um, they've confirmed. Um, I have four others that are probably confirmed. I'm just going to... They haven't actually given me the full confirmation yet, but um, it, it has not been difficult to find good companies and people to come for the next showcase. And I haven't even announced it properly yet. So, Brilliant. Great. Okay. Oh, and that's it. And um, a big thank you, as always, to our latest members. So these are the companies who have signed up since we last spoke. Um, Simoda, Can Studios, as mentioned, and Castus. Fantastic. Thank you. And uh, in the individuals category... Their categories now, I've just decided, um, is uh, James Charlesworth. So uh, James is our latest individual member. Thanks, James. Indeed. Thank you, James. Um, And that's it. If you'd like to subscribe to the show, you can do so in whichever app you prefer to uh, subscribe to podcasts in, um, Apple Podcasts or all of the others. 
Um, you can find it more at sheffield.digital slash podcast. If you usually listen to these episodes in the, um, in the browser, so if you follow a link on Twitter or something like that, we do have every episode posted to the website. You can just find the podcast category on there and, um, and get stuck in. And, um, and feel free to spread the word. Tell people about it. Share the news, etc. And I hope everybody has a great summer. Yeah, have a good time. <laughs>